welcome to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, co-hosted by yours truly, Kate Richardson and Megan Pachecki. We're two registered dietitians here to make your life easier by debunking diet myths, sharing scientific information about nutrition, and keeping you motivated to reach your goals. We want to teach you everything we know by giving you real-life examples of how we've helped our combined thousands of clients transform their lives, lose weight, and get healthy without having to go on another cookie-cutter diet. On this podcast, we'll be giving you our best advice, strategies, and mindset shifts so you too can reach your goals using food and most importantly, enjoy the process. Polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS seems to be on the rise. And maybe this is just coming from my lens as a registered dietitian, but the number of women I have making appointments with the goal to talk about how to manage their PCOS symptoms with diet and lifestyle seems to be climbing up and up. And what's interesting about PCOS is that no woman has the same exact symptoms as another woman with PCOS. I find that PCOS is like the IBS of the women's hormone health world. IBS, or irritable bowel syndrome, is a blanket diagnosis that's given to women or people that have a variety of digestive issues. Maybe it's bloating, constipation, diarrhea, pain, but then they walk out of their doctor's office with this new diagnosis and no real direction on what to do. And if you do a Google search on how to cure IBS or how to manage IBS, you're going to find a ton of different recommendations ranging from mild to extreme. And the same thing goes with PCOS. So my clients who come in who have done their own research often tell me they feel overwhelmed. They're like, I'm looking at one lady's blog. She's telling me I can never eat carbs. I have to avoid all sugar. I need to start eating allulose and taking all these supplements and blah, blah, blah. And then you'll find another PCOS blog that says, just make these small changes and you'll be fine. So of course, women feel overwhelmed. And my goal for today's podcast is to comb through uh, the science of PCOS and give you some clear-cut recommendations based on my own research, up-to-date research, evidence-based nutrition, as well as my experience in private practice as a registered dietitian. So today's episode is part of our Healthy Hormone series. If you're interested in hormones, I highly recommend listening to our other episodes as hormones are a very uh, interrelated system. So if one hormone is out of balance, if you're experiencing one hormonal dysfunction, you want to be able to keep an eye out for other symptoms of other hormone-related issues and alleviate those as well. The good news is a lot of these things um, help each other. So if you're changing your diet and lifestyle to reduce PCOS symptoms, you'll probably experience a benefit in other hormone dysfunction. So episode 125, we talk about what to eat during the phases of your cycle. 126, we talked about nutrition for hypothyroidism. And in episode 129, we talked about how stress hormones increase belly fat. If you are struggling with PCOS, episode 129 is a must listen because stress and PCOS uh, tend to go hand in hand. Cortisol regulation and PCOS symptom is affected. So be sure to listen to that because some of the recommendations listed in this episode will be reinforced and explained in episode 129. So let's start by talking about what PCOS actually is. And the simplest definition is that it's a hormonal or endocrine disorder that affects somewhere between 5 to 10% of women. 
the diagnostic criteria means that you meet two of the three following criteria. <laughs> Was that redundant? First is an increase in androgens. Androgens are male hormones. So this could be DHEA or testosterone. So you go to the doctor, you get your blood drawn. These are out of range of what would be considered normal for a woman in her reproductive years. Two would be having a certain number of cysts on your ovaries. So your doctor can do a scan and look at the number of cysts on your ovaries and tell you if they are abnormally high. And three would be having amenorrhea, which means going at least six months without a period. I've seen different diagnostic criteria for this. It could be irregular periods for a certain number of time. So maybe you have a period in 21 days, a 21 day cycle, and then you skip a period. So it's been 45 days since your last cycle. Uh, maybe you go months without having a period and then have two really clustered together. So it would be different woman to woman. And that seems to be the theme with PCOS. It ranges woman to woman, and the symptoms that they experience are on a pretty wide spectrum. So some women may be experiencing extreme symptoms of PCOS. Maybe they meet all three of those criteria. They have increased androgens, cysts on their ovaries, and irregular or missing periods. And the symptoms they experience are extreme, like hair growth in unusual patterns. Maybe it's on their chest, on their face, on their neck. They may have extreme acne, and this could appear on the face. Uh, many times women who have hormonal acne will experience it on their chin and lower cheeks. That tends to be a spot where uh, high testosterone and acne are interrelated. They often will have trouble losing weight. This is the number one thing that women come and see me for. They have this PCOS diagnosis, which helps them have a clue of, well, maybe this is why I have trouble losing weight, why I keep gaining weight around my belly. And that can give them the clue on how to move forward. Uh, people with PCOS often experience higher risks of type 2 diabetes, but specifically insulin resistance. And I talk about this a lot in the cortisol episode, but here's the, the quick definition. When you are insulin resistant, this means that the cells in your body are not as receptive to receiving energy from food. So let me break this down. Let's say that you eat an apple. An apple is primarily carbohydrate. Carbohydrate is our body's preferred source of fuel, meaning in healthy cells that are not insulin resistant, they're gonna take that energy from the carbohydrate and use it for regular function. Uh, this could be the cells in your heart, right? That accept the energy and keep your heart pumping. It could be the cells in your muscles that help you lift things and walk around. The cells in your brain. Your brain requires a lot of energy to function. So your cells love this energy, it can use it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Now, if over time we are consuming way too many carbohydrates than our body needs, it's like our cells become closed off to receiving those carbs. They get annoyed. It's like you have somebody going door to door trying to sell you, I don't know, some weird magazine uh, subscription. I don't know if people do that anymore, but they're banging on your door and you open a few times and at first you're pleasant and happy, but then over time you get annoyed and you lock your door and you're like, why does this guy keep coming to my door trying to sell me magazines? I have enough magazines. That's how your cells are with glucose or carbohydrates. They become resistant. And insulin is like the little key that will unlock the cell's door and allow that glucose to come in. So your cells just lock the door, the insulin no longer can open it up. So what happens? Well, that energy, that glucose in your blood, it has to go somewhere. So your body starts creating more fat cells to store the glucose. So this may be why women have trouble losing weight. Even if they're on a calorie deficit, they're not eating as much. If they're insulin resistant, then their body just keeps creating fat cells because their body won't accept the carbs. We have to work to decrease insulin resistance so the body becomes more receptive to insulin. And this is the good news about this. Your body can become insulin sensitive again. This is reversible. It just depends on if you are actually insulin resistant. So here's the first thing you need to do if you have PCOS. Before you can make any concrete, well, not before you can make any concrete diet recommendations, but if you wanna be smart and strategic, is request your primary physician gets your insulin tested. This is not, and I repeat, not normally ordered on a blood draw. So unless your doctor's on top of it, and requests that you get your insulin drawn, you will not get this on your standard blood draw. You will probably get your fasting blood glucose or hemoglobin A1C. If those things are elevated, there is a higher chance that you are insulin resistant. So if you go to the doctor, you didn't eat all morning, they test your blood glucose, and you see that your blood glucose was 115, it's elevated, your hemoglobin A1C indicated prediabetes, the chances of you being insulin resistant are higher. But if you went and got your blood glucose tested and it was 98, so it wasn't quite in that abnormal range because 99 is the cutoff, and you're still experiencing stubborn weight loss or stubborn weight gain, and you've tried all these different avenues, it does not hurt to get your insulin tested because you can be insulin resistant without having high blood sugars. So that's the first thing with PCOS that we tackle. If somebody comes to me and they're like, I do have high insulin, I am insulin resistant, my blood sugars are high. I will evaluate that person and see what they are willing to do. My personal theory is never to put somebody on a carb-free diet. I don't ever put someone on keto. I don't ever strip carbs out of their diet completely. We just eat carbs differently. And this is because I take a gut health approach to improving PCOS symptoms and weight loss. So how are PCOS and gut health related? This is very important for anybody that's got concerns with hormones, but specifically PCOS. Well, first of all, let's talk about what it means to have a healthy gut. Your gut microbiome is just full of bacteria and microbes and fungi, and this is a positive thing. This is normal. You've got this whole little ecosystem going on in your body, and if that ecosystem is functioning well, it can 
boost your immunity, uh, aid nutrient utilization, and metabolism, such as glucose utilization, right? And a healthy gut microbiome can also strengthen the intestinal walls within your digestive tract, and that can help prevent harmful bacteria from taking over. So we want more good bacteria or helpful bacteria than bad bacteria. So there are certain things that we'll talk about in this episode that help improve the good, helpful bacteria in our gut. But why is this related to PCOS? Well, the dogma theory, which is short for dysbiosis of gut microbiota, suggests that an imbalance in our natural gut flora is the root cause of inflammation. This inflammation can lead to an unnatural increase in testosterone, remember one of the markers for PCOS, and insulin resistance, what happens when women have trouble losing weight with PCOS. So from a biochemical standpoint, PCOS is characterized as a chronic state of inflammation. Elevated testosterone, excess androgens, increased insulin resistance, and a greater likelihood of developing type 2 diabetes. Women with PCOS also have an increased risk of obesity and that irritable bowel syndrome that I described. These are associated with uh, decreased permeability or increased permeability of the intestinal lining. So if you've ever heard of leaky gut syndrome where people are eating things and unwanted particles pass through the gut intestines into the blood causing unwanted inflammatory responses. That is all higher in women that have PCOS. So I know I just said a lot there, but here's the main takeaway. An unhealthy gut is strongly linked to hormonal imbalances and undesirable symptoms with women who have PCOS. Why do I not put people on a no low carb diet? If you know anything about insulin resistance, you know that a great way to decrease insulin resistance is to decrease the amount of insulin that's being secreted. Let's do a little science lesson here. When you eat carbs, your body secretes insulin from the pancreas to help move those carbs, glucose, into the cell. If we're insulin resistant, we don't need more insulin. So people think, well, I'll just stop eating carbs so that insulin's not being secreted. It's not that simple, it's not that easy. But reducing your total amount of carbohydrates and being mindful can help decrease the total amount of insulin that's being secreted from the pancreas. So yes, when I have someone with PCOS, we do start modifying their total carbohydrate intake. But we start from by reducing carbs that do not help the gut microbiome. Carbs that do not help the gut microbiome are ones that are highly refined, contain no or little to no fiber, and or high in sugar. Okay, so we are going to eliminate 80 to 90% of the carbs in their diet that are low in fiber and or high in sugar. So this could be white rice, enriched flour bread, lots of cakes, cookies, chocolates, desserts, sugary drinks, that's a huge one, snack foods, sugary condiments. I do start having my clients with PCOS become highly, highly aware of the added sugars in their diet. I tell them to keep this number as close to zero most days of the week, but save dessert for once in a while. I am a believer that incorporating a little bit of dessert helps people stay longer or helps people stay consistent longer. Because if you're used to eating sugar three times a day, every day for God knows how long, you're not gonna go from 
100 to zero really quickly. So for instance, I might have some of my PCOS clients have a piece of dark chocolate with dinner every single night because it helps scratch that itch and it's an improvement from their usual bowl of ice cream and sugary Starbucks drink in the morning. It's still something sweet that they look forward to, it's just way less. And when eaten as part of a balanced meal, easier to control. Or some women who are eating you know, some sugar but not a lot, but we're eating a ton on the weekends, we start to draw boundaries on how much sugar that they let themselves consume on the weekends. And this may go against some intuitive eating approaches or some more flexible eating approaches, but when we're trying to solve a hormonal imbalance where the root cause is insulin resistance, we do take a more direct approach. And I want most of the added sugars out of my PCOS client's diet so that we can make more room for foods that help improve their gut microbiome. Because remember, the gut microbiome, if that is inflamed, that's going to add fuel to the fire of a disease like PCOS and insulin resistance that the root cause of is inflammation. Whew, that's a lot of words, right? So your main takeaway there, we get rid of most added sugars. And then we start replacing things that we took out of the diet with things that help improve the gut microbiome. So this is the problem with most diets. You look at the diet and it says, don't eat this, don't eat that. You can't do this, you can't eat that. And you feel really sad and you get confused and you're like, what the hell do I even eat if I can't have anything? No, we don't wanna have that mindset because that mindset sucks and it's not helpful. It's not helpful. Stop looking at diets that tell you only what to restrict. We have to think about what to eat more of to help improve and diversify your gut microbiome, your gut flora. So here's where we start. We wanna be eating a lot of whole foods that contain fiber. And most foods that contain fiber also contain carbs. This is why we don't go on a carb-free diet because we need sources of fiber at every single freaking meal. You heard me, every meal and snack needs fiber. This could include really low carb options like leafy greens, kale, spinach, Swiss chard, uh, non-starchy vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, cucumber, bell peppers, and it can contain some more starchier carbohydrates, starchier sources of fuel, whole grains, steel cut oats, old fashioned oats, berries, fruits, sprouted grains, all of these things, oatmeal, those are good sources of fiber. We just have to modify portions depending on that person's activity, age, height, goals to better fit their needs. So if a woman's eating a ton of carbs in the morning, we might have to change the source of carb that she's eating and modify the portion. And this is where we start to increase quality sources of protein. Protein helps keep you fuller for longer and therefore helps you modify the portion of carbs in which you are eating. So here's an example. I'll have a woman come in, she has PCOS. I'll say, what's your average breakfast look like? Uh, she'll tell me she has a blueberry muffin with a glass of orange juice and uh, coffee with creamer. Okay, so her blueberry muffin probably has a ton of added sugar. So we're going to swap that for something else that's higher in fiber but still contains carbohydrates. So we'll say, hey, let's eliminate the blueberry muffin. Let's throw in a piece of sprouted grain toast. Okay, your, uh, I said orange juice, that's just pure sugar. There's no fiber. There's no real sustenance in that orange juice. So let's replace that with a whole orange. So boom, we've got two fibrous sources of carbohydrates. And it's not too much. That's a perfect amount. 
but we need to start adding protein in so that she feels fuller and doesn't have that same craving for sugar later in the day. So we'll add in a good source of protein. And my favorite way to do this is by adding in a source of protein that also contains probiotics or live active cultures, because that's also going to help diversify the gut flora in somebody's microbiome. Probiotics are food for healthy bacteria. So an easy high protein source would be an unsweetened Greek yogurt because it's got tons of protein and probiotics. So a Greek yogurt with toast, I want her to have a full fat Greek yogurt so that she stays fuller for longer. So meals start to become higher in fiber, higher in fat, and higher in protein, lower in sugar, lower in refined carbs. So if we're looking at a full fat yogurt with toast and an orange, imagine right now you just ate that. Just feel the sensation in your gut. It's very filling. You're going to feel satiated for hours. My goal is that every time you eat a meal, you feel full for at least three hours, up to five or six hours. That way you don't experience cravings or crashes. You may notice if you eat a sugary breakfast like the blueberry muffin and orange juice that you're hungry two hours later, and that's where you might start to crave more sugar, which of course only adds to that insulin resistance problem. So another ways to add probiotics to your breakfast that may not have the same amount of protein would be by having some kind of fermented vegetable on the side. Um, kimchi is a great example having a little glass of unsweetened kombucha. I think GT's is the best brand because they do not add any extra sugar. Uh, sauerkraut, taking a shot of kefir, the unsweetened kind, uh, or there's even gut shots uh, such as farmhouse culture that are pretty good. Now you can take probiotics or eat these live active cultures any time of day because some of those might not sound very appetizing with breakfast other than the unsweetened yogurt. I recommend my clients eat their probiotics just because certain strains and strain combinations in probiotics are random uh, and they can help alleviate certain symptoms better than others. So you can talk to your doctor about certain probiotics. Really, the ones that I want people to take uh, have lactobacillus in them and those are gonna be listed in all those foods that I just named off. So, so far we've got eating more fiber and adding in probiotics eating more protein in your diet to help prevent cravings later in the day. So other sources of protein, especially at breakfast that are easy, are gonna be full fat or 2% cottage cheese. Eggs are a really great option. I recommend eating the yolk. The yolk is full of nutrients, healthy fat that will keep you fuller for longer. You can also do any kind of meat or lean meat source. Milk and soy milk have protein added in them as well. And if you're plant-based, nuts, beans, yes, beans for breakfast with an egg is amazing. Uh, you could do lentils in the morning. You could scramble up some tofu with nutritional yeast. There are many different ways to add protein in the morning. If you're on the go, Greek yogurt, protein bars like RX bars, and making smoothies with a high quality protein shake is key. Uh, we have some good protein powders listed on our blog. If you go to nutritionawareness.com, you can just search protein powders, protein shakes to find better options. The next way to help improve your gut microbiome and help alleviate symptoms of PCOS is to eat more anti-inflammatory foods. Uh, I mean, this makes sense, right? And an anti-inflammatory diet is going to reduce inflammation in the gut. 
An anti-inflammatory diet is rich in omega-3 fatty acids. Now you can take an EPA DHA supplement. I take Thorns Super EPA. Uh, you can also do Nordic Naturals has a really good option as well. And you can eat foods that are rich in omega-3s. Fatty fish, especially like wild-caught salmon, tuna, sardines, really high in omega-3s. Walnuts, ground flaxseed, chia seeds. Um, some eggs are enriched with omega-3s. This would be a great example of getting omega-3s in your diet. I eat one source at least per day and I supplement. You also want to be eating foods that are high in fiber because those are anti-inflammatory and foods that also contain antioxidants. The deeper the color of the fruit and vegetable, the more likely it is to have antioxidant properties, but any fruit and vegetable is going to be higher in fiber. Blueberries, blackberries, leafy greens, uh, even nuts, seeds, beans, lentils, avocado, all those are wonderful for an anti-inflammatory diet. We also want to start replacing some inflammatory foods with anti-inflammatory options. An example would be a lot of seed oils. I know this is really debated in the literature, but an easy thing to do if you're cooking at home with vegetable oil or canola oil is switch that for a more anti-inflammatory option, olive oil and avocado oil. Super simple, easy, and not that hard. I'd also start reducing your high intake of artificial sugars if you've already got that going on. So a lot of women who are trying to lose weight start taking a plethora of sports supplements. Uh, they take sweetened protein powders. Uh, they start eating low-carb bars, low-carb shakes, pre-workout powders. Take out anything that's got artificial sugars, and these are often found in these diet foods. Look on the ingredients list for sucralose and aspartame because these can wreak havoc on your intestinal health. So avoid the fake stuff completely and just wean off those artificial sweetened foods. They're very intense on your tongue and you'll find that if you just avoid them for a few weeks, you won't even crave them anymore. You'll reintroduce them and they'll be way too sweet. The other thing that I would eliminate or at least reduce is alcohol if you are trying to improve your gut health. Now I know this is hard, but alcohol, especially bottom shelf brands, can trigger inflammation. So limit your serving sizes for special occasions, uh, choose wines that have natural ingredients, and don't mix your spirits with sugary mixers and tonic water. Now, just a little caveat here, some people, not everyone, experience an inflammatory response from gluten, dairy, soy, now, before you rush to eliminate all these foods from your diet, first focus on eating more of those whole foods that contain fiber and see if that helps eliminate some of your symptoms. Then you can start to eliminate ingredients if nothing improves after four to six weeks. So if you start eliminating sugar and replacing most of your sugar with high fiber foods, you're supplementing with omega-3s, you're eating a wide variety of fiber, and you're still experiencing symptoms, then you can experiment with going on a gluten-free diet or a dairy-free diet. But I would just do one potential offender at a time for 30 days. So don't go gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free all at once. That's really difficult, and you're not going to be able to closely pinpoint what's causing you concerns. Again, this is like the third thing we'd try, if you were my client coming in, we would be focusing more on those things that are easier to control. I find 
many women don't actually have a gluten intolerance, they're just eating a crappy diet. <laughs> so just a caveat there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about supplements that can help improve PCOS symptoms. So we just talked about food that can help improve your gut microbiome and help eliminate inflammation. Also, we talked about how to modify servings of added sugars and those refined carbs that increase your likelihood of insulin resistance. So by changing your diet, those things can be better managed. I will throw in one other lifestyle and diet tip. Don't eat for about 12 to 14 hours every day. So this is intermittent fasting. You don't have to intermittent fast for 18 hours like the internet tells you. I find this does more damage than good most of the time. After you eat dinner, don't eat until breakfast. If you eat dinner at 7, don't eat breakfast until 7, 8, or 9 o'clock. That's it. Take a break from eating. That gives your body a break from secreting insulin. Let's talk about supplements. Really debated, but there are some good supplements that I do recommend for women that have PCOS. Number one is myo-inositol or vitamin B8. These studies are really solid here that myo-inositol can be helpful in treating a variety of symptoms associated with PCOS, including insulin resistance, high blood sugars, and of course, inflammation. Uh, myo-inositol in particular may also aid in weight loss due to its serum testosterone and insulin decreasing effects. Uh, that would be the number one supplement that I'd recommend for anyone with PCOS. You can find this in powder and pill form. I believe it's four grams per day is what's therapeutic. So if you're buying a powder, it should be a myo-inositol D-chiro combo, 40 to one ratio. Take four grams per day. This can be in pill or powder form. That's what's been shown in the studies to be therapeutic. Another supplement I'd recommend for anybody really, but magnesium. It is one of the most underrated minerals for hormonal health as it plays a crucial role in a variety of metabolic functions, including liver detoxification and relieving muscle soreness, which could be helpful if you experience painful cramps around your period time. It also, uh, research has also shown that magnesium supplementation can improve insulin sensitivity. So I would consider supplementing with 300 to 600 milligrams of magnesium glycinate before bed because glycinate is easier on the digestive system. A citrate might cause you a little bit of constipation or discomfort. The other supplement that I recommend for PCOS would be zinc. It's really easy. Zinc sulfate supplementation has also been shown to have a positive impact on the metabolic effects of women with PCOS. Uh, zinc, when taken in combination with sol palmetto, has been shown to decrease testosterone levels, which can cause those unwanted uh, symptoms. However, studies on the effect that sol palmetto had on decreasing androgens by itself isn't strong enough for me to recommend supplementation at this time. So taking the zinc sulfate if you want to take the sol palmetto with the zinc sulfate, go above and beyond, be my guest. The last thing that I'd recommend would be protein powders. Uh, this would only be if you have trouble eating enough protein, if your diet's limited, if you are a picky eater. Again, go to our blog and find the protein powders that we recommend the most, protein drinks. Most people need somewhere between 20 and 40 grams of protein at every single meal. And this still might not be enough. 
uh, if you're eating less than 60 grams of protein per day, we need to talk. <laughs> you're, if, you're, if you're wondering if you're under eating protein, you probably are. In that case, I can't recommend enough working with a dietitian and getting to a place where you're consistently eating high protein throughout the day. Another easy way to do this is to make sure that your snacks are also containing a good source of protein, which in my definition is at least eight to 10 grams depending on your side. So yeah, carrots and hummus are wonderful, but if you're under eating protein at meals or skipping meals, there's not enough protein in that hummus. You need to switch over to something that's higher in protein like carrots, hummus, and deli turkey slices with a cheese stick. This might mean less hummus and carrots to make room for more of that protein or switching to an all-natural whole food protein bar, like an RX bar or a Kind Protein bar, or I really like the um, Go Macro bars lately. So finding ways to increase protein, working with a dietitian can help you with this as well. I almost debated not putting this supplement into this podcast, but I think it's helpful because many women who go to the doctor and present with PCOS find that they also have high blood sugars, perhaps prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, and they'll be prescribed metformin. Metformin's great for helping with insulin sensitivity. Other women aren't at that point where they need that medication, or maybe they don't want to go on metformin. They want to try lifestyle first. There is a supplement called N-acetylcysteine. It's known as NAC, N-A-C. And when compared with metformin, NAC has been shown to be an insulin sensitizing treatment for PCOS. NAC and metformin also show similar effects on improving irregular periods, decreasing your uh, body mass index, your BMI, and lowering androgens in the PCOS population. I do think that is relevant information and it's up to you to make a decision on whether or not that is something you're interested in. So we've talked a lot about diet here. Uh, We talked about gut health, carb control, supplementation. As I mentioned earlier in the beginning, if you have PCOS, you need to listen to our episode about stress. This was episode 129. Stress is linked to PCOS. So increased levels in cortisol and PCOS. So one of the treatments for PCOS outside of food and, and exercising is going to be lowering stress because cortisol secretion, that stress hormone, leads to an increase in blood glucose, which contributes to insulin resistance. It can increase your inflammation and it can increase your cravings, making it harder to carb control and reduce sugar. So don't starve yourself because you're afraid of what you're gonna eat later in the day. That increases cravings and stress in the body. And don't overexercise as that can also increase cortisol levels and contribute to all of those symptoms that we just mentioned. Your best bet for decreasing stress might be doing less. If your life is full of tasks and to-do lists and busyness and intense workouts and blah, 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 you need to take a look at your life to decrease the total amount of stress. And sometimes, believe it or not, this means taking it down a notch on the intensity in which you exercise. Many women with PCOS who come into my office are doing high intensity workouts four or five days a week, wondering why they can't lose weight. I get them off those high intensity workouts completely, doing light dumbbell work, yoga, Pilates, long walks, amazing for stress, amazing for fat loss, helpful with decreasing insulin resistance, 
and it is much more effective for somebody who has a hormonal imbalance than any kind of HIIT workout. And I will die on that grave <laughs> or that hill. So go listen to one uh, episode 129 if you have PCOS for more about cortisol and weight gain. If you have questions about PCOS, if you want to work with a dietitian, if you want to get help on how to modify your specific lifestyle, make changes to your diet, I highly recommend setting up an appointment with me or one of the other dietitians at Nutrition Awareness. We will go through what your specific needs are. We're going to look at any kind of testing or blood labs that you've had done recently. We want to know about your schedule. We want to know about your food allergies, things you've tried things that worked and things that didn't work. I want to know about what you eat in a day and we can help you make realistic and sustainable changes at your own speed and your own pace to help alleviate and manage any PCOS symptoms you might be experiencing. Like I said in the beginning, a lot of the symptoms that women experience with PCOS can be alleviated if you are committed and consistent. So if you're experiencing insulin resistance, if you're having trouble losing weight because of PCOS, there is a multitude of ways to help address those concerns. It just has to be realistic realistic and sustainable. Because if you can't keep up with it for six months, you're not going to be able to heal your hormones. So feel free to reach out to us. Our website is going to be linked in our bio, nutritionawareness.com. You can also send us a direct message. So we're on Instagram at nutrition.awareness. If you'd like to reach out to me personally, I'm Kate, K-A-I-T, Richardson, R-D, on Instagram, and you can reach out to me with questions as well. Oh, okay, I hope this was helpful for you guys. Um, I look forward to seeing you at our next episode, and feel free to send me ideas for podcast episodes you'd like to learn more about. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. And if you did find it helpful and want to share it with the whole world, screenshot this episode and tag us on Instagram in your stories at nutrition.awareness so we can connect with you. To get notified about the next episode of Nutrition Awareness, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And to create your own personalized nutrition plan with us, be sure to schedule your virtual or in-person consultation on our website, www.orlandodietitian.com. Now get out there, fuel up, and live your healthiest life. We'll see you on the next episode.